Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why MidwayUSA offers super-fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hi, everyone. Ron Spomer back with more questions and answers. We had a lot of fun last time, and we're looking forward to seeing what sort of questions you have and whether or not I can answer them this time. But before we start with those, I want to read a little bit of information provided by our listeners. Um, last time we talked about Someone asked a question about an LBT SWC bullet, and I couldn't quite figure that one out. I came up with semi-wad cutter, but I couldn't come up with the LBT. And a lot of folks chimed in. I just need to read you some of these and see if we can't figure it out. Anthony said LBT SWC means lead bullet technology semi-wad cutter. Okay. But uh, JR says LBT is actually the name and acronym of a bullet maker mold designer by a guy, I believe, in Idaho. They are a hard cast bullet, usually in a handgun caliber. And Roger <laughs> said LBT is a company that makes bullet molds, lead bullet technology. So they're starting to uh, fall into place here. Kevin says for LBT SWC, I'm thinking he means lead boat tail semi wad cutter. Or in other words, a 44 lead conical seated upside down. Lots of laughs. And then LB, uh, LB says it means linotype or something and tin. <laughs> That's going back a ways. We used to use linotype to, for bullets. Um, and Tom says LBT SWC means lead bullet technology semi wad cutter. But he puts a question mark behind it. Well, it sounds like that might be it. If anyone knows guaranteed absolutely what it is, send that in. We'll uh, run it up the flagpole next time. And then another thing we talked about were left-handed actions. And, boy, there are a lot more out there than I could remember. I came up with, I think, the Savage and the Browning. Um, but folks wrote in and said the Tika T3 is real good, real popular left-handed action. The Brownings. Weatherby has quite a few, and even Ruger, even in their American line. Um, then the Savage, of course, and a lot of guys recommended Henry Lever Actions for lefties. And then I guess Sako, which is tied in with Tika, also offers left-handed. So if you're a Southpaw, there's some you can look for. All right, now let's find out what sort of new questions we've got and see what the team dragged up for me here. All right, here is one from KCV. What do you think about the Army's new 6.8 by 51, the .277, at 80,000 PSI? That's the chamber pressure. And it's bleed over into the civilian market. Well, actually, KCV, that 277 
uh, was out before the Army accepted it as the 6.8 by 51. This uh, similar thing happened way back when with a 308 Winchester. Winchester came out with that as a civilian cartridge before the NATO adopted it as a 7.62 NATO, and then our military only after that. So with this one, uh, Sig Sauer came up with it, a novel idea. We've discussed it before. If I'd have known ahead of time, I could have brought a case here to show you, but they use a steel head on the case and then brass body. So the brass body expands and seals the chamber like typical brass does, but the steel head helps hold in all that pressure. 80,000 PSIs of maximum chamber pressure is what that thing is allowed. And that, of course, increases velocity with a shorter barrel and a smaller powder space. The cartridge itself is just essentially the 308 neck down to 277. It's that increased pressure that really pushes it out there. So in a 16-inch barrel, you're getting, if I remember right, about the same velocity you would with a 270 pushing the same weight bullet in a maybe 24-inch barrel. So I'm not quite sure what you're going to get out of that thing in a 24-inch barrel, and that's what remains to be seen for the civilian market. Yeah, there's a rifle, I think it's called the Crossfire. Sig Sauer has out for, chambered for that. I don't think you can just take any old rifle and rechamber it. You've got to be concerned about those chamber pressures. What uh, is that rifle going to be able to withstand? And until more information comes out on that, I think we're all going to be kept guessing unless another manufacturer starts chambering for it. It's all up in the air right now, but there are a lot of folks interested in this one just because of that higher pressure. Would be kind of nice to get 270 performance out of a 16-inch barrel, but I'm not sure I want to sit around for the muzzle blast on that one. <laughs> and there are a lot of guys who can't take the recoil from a 270 with a 24-inch barrel and a fairly heavy rifle. You start lightening things up and going to a short barrel, ouch. So we'll find out. Everybody keep watching. Could be interesting. All right, Matt asks a question about a Mohawk 600. This is an old Remington rifle in the 1960s. Can you talk about the Mohawk 600 in a 243? Boy, it seems to me we covered this one in a previous show as well, but not really nailing it down. But it is an interesting little rifle. The Mohawk 600 is sort of the predecessor for what became the Model 7 Remington. And it's a short action. But the Mohawk was also featuring a really short barrel. I think essentially Remington was trying to make a carbine that would compete with the 30-30 lever actions for woods hunting, but put it in more substantial bottleneck cartridges for better downrange, long-range performance. And, you know, in case you came across uh, a wide opening or a power line where you could shoot two, 300 yards, suddenly the 30-30 is looking a little bit uh, insignificant. So they made this short little funny looking rifle you know they really dulled it up or as my friend Dwight would say tarted it up uh for eye appeal I imagine and the uh the original had a what they called a shark's tooth front sight this big shark tooth looking hook thing that was really superfluous but again it caught people's eyes and then it had a dog leg in the bolt handle so it's really distinctive um after it uh, was out for a while they brought out a couple of variations. They went with longer barrels, I think 18-inch and even 20-inch, and uh, changed it up a little bit, called it a 660 for a while. But that whole Mohawk line is pretty interesting and has a big uh, following. A lot of folks really like it. 
Um, and the really cool thing was that for a time they chambered it in a 6.5 Remington Magnum and a 350 Remington Magnum. And those were two of the early short fat Magnums. Both of them were based on the belted case, really shortened, and would have given some pretty good performance. The 6.5 Remington Magnum, for instance, is about neck and neck with today's 6.5 PRC cartridge. And everybody's really liking that one. Why didn't the old 6.5 Remington make it? Well, because they had it in those short barrels. <laughs> they couldn't wring the complete performance out of it. So another marketing move by Remington that didn't quite work out. But if you're looking for a fun little handy rifle, there are a lot of elk hunters who like both the 6.5 and the 350 Rem Mag because of those short action, short barrel little Mohawks. All right, this is uh, Elg's, E-L-G apostrophe S question. Does the length of the barrel also add to the felt recoil from your gun? No, only in that it would add a little weight to reduce some of the felt recoil. And also, because there's extra weight out front, it would minimize muzzle flip a little bit. That's mostly a product of the the stock line, the way the stock comes back into your shoulder. If you can mimic the straight line of the barrel, the direction that the bullet is going out, then that energy coming back, that recoil energy is in the same line. But if your stock drops quite a bit, the comb and the butt, then it wants to kick up. But the length of the the barrel itself isn't going to make much difference. Just the weight and controlling a little bit of the flip because there's more weight out front. Okay, Frank is wondering, is it the recoil energy or velocity that affects perceived recoil? Ah, let's think about this. Recoil energy or velocity. You know, it is both because recoil energy is a big part of velocity. Um, you put a, say, 180 grain bullet in a barrel, and if you don't give it any velocity, there's no recoil. <laughs> Seems kind of obvious when you put it that way. But the faster you push it down that barrel, the more re- recoil you're going to get. So think of a 30-30 shooting. Well, let's go with 150 grain bullets. 30-30, 150-grain bullet, not too bad. 308 Winchester, 150-grain bullet, a little more recoil. Uh, 30-06, little more powder, same bullet, a little more recoil. 300 Winchester Magnum, 300 Weatherby Magnum, 300 Remington Ultra Magnum, 3378 Weatherby Magnum, (laughs) you're starting to feel more recoil. Well, there's also the weight of the ejecta, which means the powder as well as the bullet. So even though we've kept the bullet at 150 grains, those extra grains of powder are also counting in the energy. And the velocity counts too, especially, well, I don't know if the venturi effect is going to be playing a role here because that's happening out of the bottleneck of the cartridge, not the muzzle. So, yeah, I think it's just the, the the velocity and the weight of the bullet and the weight of the powder. Those all contribute to the recoil. And then, of course, the weight of your rifle tames that down. That's what moderates it. And, of course, you came it down, too. So if you had an eight-pound rifle and you absorbed some of the recoil that the rifle didn't absorb, and then you had your buddy standing behind you leaning up against you, he would feel even less of that recoil. So that's kind of what I tell you about recoil. The cool thing about recoil, though, is that you can learn to handle it. Too many of us are afraid of it just because it sounds gruesome and it's loud and it feels hard. But really, I know 100-pound females past 50 who shoot regularly with 375s, some of them even 458 
Winchester Magnums. I mean, it's crazy what they can handle because they've trained to do it. So don't be afraid. Work your way up and train to do it. Good ear protection, good eye protection, past recoil pad or something until you get used to it. Um, and it really can be done. You just have to be dedicated to it. And, and once you've learned how to handle it, it really doesn't bother you that much anymore. Now, you can check out one of my videos on recoil. Uh, what I did was I stood up against a barn and I put some lines on it so that you could see how much the rifle was kicking up. And that's going back to the question about the longer barrel and the muzzle flip, but also how much I was rocking backwards. And I started with a 22 rimfire, which of course is nothing. Worked my way up to, I think, a 243 and a 30 and a 300. WSM or something and 375 H&H &H, and it started to get a little rocking going on there. And then the ultimate was the 458 lot, which was pushing a 500 grain bullet. <laughs> you can feel that one, but you'll get an idea. Watch that video and you'll get an idea of how much actual pushing is going on. It's not as much as some guys think. So you want to check that out. All right. This is a Nono 559's question. I was taught to make sure there's no space at all between the butt of your rifle and your shoulder pocket when you shoot. What shooting position do you recommend? I'd love to hear your thoughts. This is an interesting question because I was taught the same thing. You know, good firm hold, and then you don't get the rifle to jump back at you and hurt more when it hits the recoil. But I've had guys say, you know, it's just the opposite for me. I hold it loosely or a little away from my shoulder, and I don't get it. To hurt as much. So I've tried it that way, and by golly, they were right. But I can't aim the rifle as well that way. You want to get a good cheek weld, you want to get nice and snug. I don't cram it into my shoulder, but I don't hold it loosely so that the rifle's not solid. I want to be controlling the rifle well enough to shoot, but I really do think that keeping it a little away from you kind of helps reduce that recoil. I don't know if it's because of the time it takes for the rifle to come back to your shoulder. Or if your arms perhaps are gripping it instinctively almost once it starts to recoil, and then it hits your shoulder, it's been tamed down a little bit already. And maybe I'm just full of it and I only thought it didn't kick as much. Why don't you try it and let me know what you think? Everybody out there is welcome to do the experiment, but don't blame me if it hurts. All right, that's a good question. I can't wait to see some of the comments on that one. This is from Tigris115. What should be in the foundation of every gun collection, especially for a new hunter or someone who doesn't want to collect too many guns? <laughs> well, lots of our fans here are going to say too many guns. What is this man talking about? <laughs> There's no such thing. But there is. Once you have to start uh, maintaining them and cleaning them and um, bills get kind of run up. So it is uh, sensible to select your rifles for what you need. And that is up to the individual, obviously. And you know, some people just dote on a 22 rimfire, do a lot of small game hunting, do a lot of plinking and training with one, but others don't even own one. I hardly recommend one. For me, that is the foundation of any rifleman's equipment. Get a 22 long rifle or even an older one that takes shorts, longs, or long rifles. And that will be your training rifle and your fun rifle for minimum expense. And pretty much everyone that I talk to agrees with me on this one. It, it's just a no-brainer. You can train and train and train, work on your trigger control and your sight picture and your alignment and all your shooting positions. Hardly costs anything with the 
the cost of 22 rimfire. I realize it's a lot higher today than it was 10 years ago, but then so is everything else. But it's a lot cheaper than shooting your center fires. And you're not burning the barrels out on your center fires, too, if you practice with a 22. You can shoot a 22 rimfire for the rest of your life and never burn that barrel out. You just don't wear out. So there's your start. Then you want to get up into what are known colloquially as the varmint cartridges. Whether or not you actually shoot varmints like rock chucks, wood chucks, and uh, various rodents in the hay fields and the crops and stuff like that. Um, doesn't really matter that much because once again, this is another step up in your training regimen, especially with the 223. The 223 Remington is such a general do-it-all ubiquitous rifle. It seems like they're everywhere. So you're probably always going to find ammunition for them. They can be used for deer hunting. They are used for just about everything smaller, uh, real popular for coyote control. Um, and, and they're fairly inexpensive too. So that would be a good one. Now, some guys, I am one of them, prefer a 22250 Remington or the Ackley improved version of that uh, for extra reach for some real long range windy country. And the six millimeter Creedmoor would be another good one going up the scale. And I believe the 22 Creedmoor is going to be legitimized. It either just has been or it's about to be. But that one from what I've done in my research, will do just about what the 22250 Remington Ackley Improved will do. So that is is my choice for really long-range Western shooting for coyotes where you have to reach three, 400 yards pretty regularly. And if you get it with a fast twist barrel, you're going to be able to push those 75, even 80 grain bullets, maybe even 90 grain bullets. So you can really be beating the wind with those high BC bullets. But something in that 22 class I think is necessary. Now, some guys will skip that and go right to the six millimeters, like I mentioned with that Creedmoor. So 243, six millimeter Remington, that's an oldie, oldie but goodie, but you can't find it much anymore. So I think the six millimeter Creedmoor is going to take over. And that does about what the six millimeter Remington does or did. So I think the sensible choice these days would be that. And that is what's considered a dual-purpose cartridge. Can be used for coyotes and rock chucks and varmints, but also for pronghorn and whitetails and that size game animal. Probably feral hogs too. I've certainly used two forty-threes and six millimeters with success on feral hogs. Wouldn't be uh, the absolute best choice for that, but there's a lot of small hogs out there. Okay, so. Those are kind of the bottom, the starting point. Then you can jump up somewhere in that 308 Winchester, 30 out 6, 270 Winchester, maybe right up to the 7 Remington Magnum, maybe even the 300 Win Mag. In that, that sounds like it's a pretty broad category, but that is your general purpose big game hunting cartridge that pretty much can do it all. So we're talking not just whitetail, but go out west for mule deer and elk and sheep and moose and Black bears, you could easily take grizzly bear with the bigger ones. Plenty of them, 270s, have been used successfully for just about everything. So somewhere in that range, based on what you can endure with recoil, uh, some people don't mind a 300 Magnum at all. But if you think you're going to be really sensitive, just get a good bullet and use that 270. It'll pretty much do anything the 7 Ram Mag or the 300 Wind Mag will do. Or any other cartridges in that basic range. And then, of course, there are the six fives now, which are kind of the, boy, for lack of a better description, the new 270. 
they are so close in diameter. It's a 0.264 bullet versus a 0.277 bullet. And the velocities are quite similar. The weights are quite similar. So I would call the 6.5s from the Creedmoor on up a great choice for deer, but not quite as good for elk just because of the smaller bullet diameter. Good shot, good bullet. You can certainly do it. But if you want to jump right up into the 270s, you're going to be looking at the 270 Weatherby Mag, the WSM, the 6.8 Western now, the good old 270. Those to me would be a better starting point for your general purpose big game rifle. Now, if you want to go bigger, go home, as they say, I don't think you need to. But if you want to be hunting elk a lot, I would start looking at the 300 as the benchmark, the 300 Win Mag or any of the 300 Magnums, and then going up to the 338s or a 35 Whalen or all the way up to a 375 H&H or a 375 Ruger. Anything in that 33 to 37 caliber range would be a good option for the bigger stuff in North America and, of course, in Africa. Now, anything that works for deer or elk over here will work in Africa on the plains game. And that means all of the antelopes from the 2,000-pound eland down to the 10-pound dick dick. And uh, you're going you're gonna to be more than set up for that. Um, but if you get into the dangerous game, many countries mandate the power and size of at least a 375 H&H. And some even go higher than that. They want a 40 of some kind. So you need to check with those. In North America, I don't think you need a 375 or higher caliber. But if you enjoy big rifles and you want to have some fun, there's a lot of them in that 40, 41, 45, 44. The 458s, the 470 Nitro Express, you can get up into the big 500s if you really want to mess around. But I wouldn't say that's essential for your battery. So let's see. Let's review real quick. We've got a 22, a 22 center fire of some kind, and or a 243, 24 caliber of some kind. And then we're going to jump up into the deer stuff with 270 on up to 300, somewhere in there. We're up to four, and then you can get your big bore. You can get her done with five rifles. Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> now, I've tackled not only the how many rifles do you need or what's a good ba basic battery like this before on my videos. I've also done quite often the one gun to rule them all, which is real popular with folks. Because, hey, let's face it, starting out, when I was a kid, I could afford one gun. <laughs> I got a 12-gauge, and then I picked up a 22, and then I got a 6-millimeter, and then a 270. You work your way up. But if you're looking to do a lot of hunting with just one gun, then you probably need to jump right up into that 270 and up range, 270 to 300 someplace. Those will work fine for the smaller stuff. You're not going to be shooting small game with it, obviously. You're not going to be doing a lot of inexpensive training like you would with a 22 rimfire, but you're going to be able to hunt deer and elk and moose and bears and go to Africa and I'll do all your big game hunting pretty much. So that would be a good one to consider for a one gun. And then I think once you get hooked like the rest of us, you just have to try more. <laughs> Next thing you know, you've got a battery. Well, I hope that didn't confuse you too much, Tigris. But as I said, I think that foundation Five rifles, you'd probably be set, but I'm willing to bet you're going to end up with a few more than that. And that's half the fun. Swap and trade with your buddies and buy something new and just experiment with things. That's half the fun. You know, the hunting season only lasts a few months of the year, but you can work in your reloading room. You can work out at the range trying new things, trying new rifles. It's just a whole 
bunch of fun in and of itself. And then, of course, there's shooting competitions. And a lot of guys are getting into all kinds of fun with those. So there's lots to be done out there if you can find the rifles and the ammunition. Hey, this is Ron Spomer. I want to thank everybody for writing in and asking the questions. I hope I answered them satisfactorily. If not, tell me what I got wrong, and we will bring that up next time. I always like to be corrected when I screw up because I don't want to mess things up for anybody else out there. That's too easily done on the Internet these days. We get too much bad information on social media. I try to keep my ducks in a row and get things right, but when these come over the transom like this, I might not remember them exactly right. I depend on you guys to help me out, and I appreciate it. So give us a thumbs up if you like this kind of stuff. Subscribe to the channel. We'd sure appreciate it. And hats off to our patrons for supporting us on Patreon. You guys really make my day. An honest and shoot straight. Miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. On Mondays, head offshore with Captain Scott Walker and Steve Roger for breathtaking deep sea adventures. Coming to me, coming to me, coming to me. Double. He's jumping, he's jumping, he's jumping. Oh! oh. Look at Ooh. that belly. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue. Brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Tell a few fish stories along the way. On Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.